Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to the Cultum Collective Commentaries. Featuring... Dave AC, The Sixth Doctor, and Randall Thor. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gotham Collective Commentaries. Yes, it's time for the finale. Yes, we're going to be talking all over the last episode of uh, this series of Doctor Who. And, uh, of course, uh, as always, joining me, Mr. Dave AC. Dave? Dave, that's uh, your cue. Guys, bloody well wandered off again. Uh, just so everybody knows, Dave's always got a plan for the beginning of, of, of these things. Um, Darth, how are you doing? You know, I, I'm okay, but obviously mystified by Dave's curious absence. Well, yeah, like I say, he's always got a plan for the beginning of these, and yeah, that's just that plan. That's a little bit of a strong word, don't you think? Wonder what his plan is this week. I think he's just finishing his damn soup. Oh, oh, uh, oh! Sorry, guys. Uh, oh, you ready for me? Oh, yes, David. Uh, Sister, would you just take this away? Thank you. Uh, uh, hi, guys. Got to regenerate. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime now, I hope. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I've had my repass. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, in case uh, nobody... Well, uh, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? The other side of that line, please. Step back. Step back? Okay. Step back. You know, All right. The line. All right. You know, it works a lot better if you don't actually say anything, if you just draw the line in the sand and step away, Dave. Yeah, works better that way. All right. Okay. Quick, somebody get him a neural block. <clears throat> or me one. <laughs> yeah, me. I want it. <laughs> oh, fighting over it. No! <laughs> Wipe this planet from my memory. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> If everybody at home isn't aware, we're about to start talking all over the top of uh, episode 12 of series 9 of Doctor Who, which is called Hellbent. But yes, uh, that's what we're doing. And uh, gentlemen, do you have your official BBC copy of Hellbent at the ready? Yeah, indeed you do. I do. Do, do, do. Da, 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 da. That's all I want to say to you. All right. Well, if everybody at home is ready... Before I break into song, we can begin. And I'll count everybody in. In five, four, three, two, one, play. Previously. Ready for the big C? Oh, there it goes. You just like seeing her boobs on the side, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you got them there. Got them. Calm down, people. Calm down. 
early. 20 seconds in. Bum, bum. Nice switch. Looking apparently not like Nevada, but... Nevada. (laughs) That's why it doesn't look like Nevada. Nevada. (laughs) Now, I'll tell you a little bit of one of my profiles Ah, here, here guys. State speed limit 55 miles an hour. That's how you know. Yeah. But do you know what I saw? I assumed he was driving because he got out the right side of the the car. I thought (laughs) he must be driving it. It was only later my brain clicked in. I thought, hang on a minute, he's just got out the passenger side. So I, I was thinking he's driving across America. Well, I recognise that back anywhere. <laughs> I can't take you anywhere. Well, we said it last episode. I'm just doing it back to back from last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, because that works in this day and age. I'll play to your empty uh, cafe. It's amazing that cafe is as clean as it is, given the dustiness of what's around. By the way, if you look right there, he puts the uh, sonic sunglasses right down the table. That's his conduit to uh, allow him to play the electric guitar through the sound system that's in this, well, I guess we find out later, TARDIS. Mm. Never picks it up again. Sonic sunglasses are actually gone at the end of this episode. If you look really uh-huh. carefully, he never picks them up. Ah. I did not notice that. But did you notice what was playing on the radio when he walked in? Oh. I don't have the sound on, so I don't know. Uh, it was the um, the uh, tune from uh, Mummy on the Orient Express. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the Queen remake. Oh, nice. Yeah. That makes sense, too, from a legal standpoint, because I'm sure they own that particular uh, recording. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. I love this playing of the guitar stuff. I really, really do. Oh, in this particular episode, that fits in, yeah? Yeah, but in general, I love it. I I, I love the image that he's projecting. I think it's a really strong image that should have been there from day one, should have been there last year. I Mm. I I think it just is... It's so cool, and that's what the Doctor should always be, is in some way cool. The silhouette of him just walking around with the axe. Jenna back in the credits after our absence last week. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I was actually disappointed by that. Yeah. On the initial watch, I was like, "Mm, okay. And it's nice to see, you can see the city actually extends. That's just the central. Uh... That's, that's the Citadel and the rest yeah. of it is the capital city. Right. You know, this really just, when you compare this to the beginning of Day of the Doctor, which I've now had occasion to do since our first recording day, really is not satisfying. This is not a match at all. But the barn there, irrefutably on the same planet. And no, it is refutably not on the uh-huh. same. It's irrefutably not on the same planet. If you if you compare it to the other doctor, you're like, I oh, love no, this. Oh no, sorry, shot. sorry, sorry, on the, on the sorry, uh, the same planet as Gallifrey itself. I meant. Yeah. 
Okay, but that's not that's not true in Day of the Doctor. In Day of the Doctor, it doesn't at all. No, right. And it, mm. You know, there's, and it, it's not as close to the Citadel as this is. No. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. Language, please. Like sliders is a curse word. I think that's great. <laughs> oh, he's got his Apple Watch. <laughs> this has been the season of pushing Apple products. Now, Ian, who is this actor playing? Uh, I guess he eventually gets uh, identified as Rassilon. Right. It's Donald Sumter. And this is not his first appearance in Doctor Who. Uh, he played uh, Enrico uh, Cassili in The Wheel in Space. Uh, Commander Ridgeway in The Sea Devils. Erasmus uh, Darkening in The Eternity Trap and Sarah Jane Adventures. And, of course, we're seeing him here as uh, Rassilon. And currently starring in uh, Jekyll and Hyde as well at the moment here in the UK. Uh-huh. Excellent. Uh, he's also been in uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Enigma. Eastern Promises. The Constant Gardener. You see here, this whole thing b- bugs me. This whole... There's a... Uh, place for him to sleep in bed this whole little thing did not exist in the barn in day of the doctor at all no no it only showed up during listen didn't it yeah there was an end chamber in the listen episode now this woman i think does some fairly amazing comic work a little bit later where she can't get a word out <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's her name i forget and I don't have a, well, I, let's see. Uh, I don't have a picture. They do have a thing, uh, listing for the woman. Uh, is it Trina, Trina Miller? Female, oh no, that's no. the general. Yeah. Linda Broughton. Ah, yeah. Now, I still don't know who all these people are. I mean, could no. they be Shabogans from uh, Invasion of Time? I guess they could be. I, I really don't know why the Doctor is back here at all, except you know, because it's visually cool for him to sort of be back in the same location. And you're right about their outfits. They've gone very westernized, haven't they, uh, Ian? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, though, because it allows him to sort of have an audience and to get a round of applause and to appear as the man of the people. Who's this guy? I kind of like him. He's very simple acting. I kind of like it straightforward. Unfortunately, I don't have an awful lot of details on this episode, which is surprisingly bad. Um. <laughs> and that's a lovely little thing that we see Rachel Talele do. Uh, Tale. The dropping of the spoon echoes right back to the, ep- the other episode she did, because that same sort of shot is in um, Heaven Sent, as well as Hellbent. Lovely shot. That's a lovely yeah. shot. It could very well be Malachi Kirby. Maybe. But I don't know because they don't identify any of these underlings by name. But it, mm. uh, Gastron mm. is being played by Malachi Kirby. Who has uh, also been seen in uh, Jekyll and Hyde as well? 
Yeah. Ah. Spring Hill. Uh, Spring Hill Jack Burton. Yeah. He's also had parts in East Enders. Silent Witness. And uh, is playing Kunta Kinte in a TV miniseries of Roots, which is currently filming. Ah. Which I didn't know that they were working on. Hmm. See, here she <laughs> comes. I just love it. I, th- I just think it's great comic stuff going on. It is indeed Linda Broughton. I'm trying to find some uh, information on her as we speak. Now, uh, <laughs> he wants to touch the monkey, he wants to touch the organ grinder. <laughs> I love the look you get on his face in this in this mirror. Mm. <laughs> yes, that is. <laughs> I just think she's great. I really do. She's like they're here. The council's here. It's 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 one of the most delightful Mel Brooksian kind of appearances in Doctor Who ever. I just and then before she's just they're even done with the bow, he's back inside again. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely that Malachi Kirby playing that young man. Okay. I like. I, I mean, I'm not really sure why the Sisterhood of Karn is here. I don't really care because I love this actor playing Ohila, uh, or just Shiohika. Always going to mix up. Ohila. Uh, yeah. Ohika is actually in Brain of Morbius, mm. but um, I I like the equal power sort of between her and Rassilon. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> She's like the, She's the best. He's here. The big guy's here. <laughs> you have to answer this one. It's just she is basically allowing him to be serious, but we still get silliness. I just, it's it's great. It's a fine balance. I think he's he's believably evil as Rassilon in this. Uh-huh. I like I like this this version. I never really liked Timothy Dalton. Oh, I, I mean, I like Timothy Dalton. Don't get me wrong; he was one of my favorite Bonds. But I I just like this kind of you know you could almost imagine he's on his last regeneration again. You know, uh, eleven minutes twenty seconds. Yeah. What. What I love about what he's about, I think this is about where he says it, is that he confirms he is resurrected. Mm. Yes. Um, which is great because I think a lot of people thought in end of time, you know, it's not really Rassilon. It doesn't make any sense. Why would it be Rassilon? Right. But it shows that sort of just like the master, you know, we were told in Sound of Drums, I guess, that they sort of brought him back to fight the time war. That they have the power to resurrect these people. And uh, I think that's I think that's great to finally confirm that. Yeah, this yeah. he's just evil. No witnesses, but then <laughs> two. I don't have any either. Yeah, and I think some people thought that Rassilon was a rank rather than an actual name of a time lord. He's Rassilon, man. Yeah. Right. 
I love this thing. Lord President, he's a war hero. I love that interjection of, um, you know, patriotism, really, yeah. into this thing. It's nice. I love Ken Bones playing the the. the oh, general. yeah, that's... That's the tragedy of this episode in some ways. Is, yeah, we lose Ken Bones. <laughs> yeah, we're getting him at the final minutes of his life, which kind of sucks. I love this scene. I, I love the, the way that it's filmed. I love this ultra-wide shot. Um, really builds up the tension so that you believe it could happen. And then you realize, no, it couldn't. Because he's a warrior. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of a lemonade, just oh, opposed to it. But perfect. If, yeah, but if it's an advert break between in America, uh, I think Ritwell was saying they had an advert break at that point. Well, but it's another, it's another, it's a breaking of the fourth wall, sort of. It's the, you know, yeah. you love a good cliffhanger, don't you? It's like, well, the show does. I don't know about you. I just, I just kind of, I, I just love that whole, can I have a lemonade? Because you could almost imagine the doctor saying that in the, the suit after they just shot at him, too. You right, know, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Patients, that seems like a perfect line. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a very good point. That's awesome. Can I have a lemonade? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. this i just love how he goes just you know i don't know even a better way to say it what's a nice way to say it i don't know bad shit crazy he just goes bad shit crazy <laughs> they're all auditioning to be stormtroopers <laughs> this i love this there was a saying in the time war and i love doctor of war instead of war doctor too it's mm. great language mixing up And one of the things that I really love about this episode in terms of the way it deals with Gallifrey is that it does show differences, you know, between Gallifreyans. They're not all bastards, right? They're not all like Rassilon. No. They have a sense of nobility. And therefore you can understand why the doctor, despite railing against Gallifrey for years and years and years, does still see it as home, does still see things in it that are worth saving. Obviously these men standing by his side after you know being on a firing squad against him show great nobility you know mm. i love that i just realized that that general did you mention it he, that he was in uh atlantis as well he played uh milas uh, yeah or malas mm. oh, yeah. yes. mm. nice the glove of rassilon mm-hmm. or is it gauntlet right the risen mitten. <laughs> yeah, the risen mitten. But they don't know how many resurrections, the, the, uh, regenerations they gave him. Well, he does. That's why he says, mm-hmm. how many right. did we give you? It wasn't oh, a question. It was more of a statement. How many right, did we so, give you? I'm willing to go through them all. Right. You know? Might be written down somewhere, right? Well, I think... Uh, ships. I mean, because he would have had to have approved however many regenerations they gave him. He knows right. it's just it was just a statement of of you know I've got all yeah I've got a, I've got all yep yeah, there he goes resurrected mine <laughs> get off his planet that's <laughs> right pushes his hand down uh, you know like off <laughs> do we assume exactly. with that then that Rassilon has already had his whole th- his whole twelve Regenerations and he's 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 holding oh. on to his last body, yeah. Long, long ago. No, long, this long. isn't even his last body. This is him resurrected. I mean, he's yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, it's he's, yeah, he's totally out. 
But we don't. We I mean, we don't know which regeneration Timothy Dalton was. You know. Yeah. Dude, and this this is straight out of Star Wars Episode Three Balcony. I, I keep expecting Padme to show up. <laughs> um, it looks like her apartment. It totally does. <laughs> Internet gown. But that's yeah. relevant. Yeah, it's relevant because the doctor, when he's uh, got someone else in his sights, asks them which regeneration they're on before he chooses to shoot. Right. Well, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, the high counselor on the next shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Looks like they're playing dodgems. Kind of. (laughs) They look like those. That's why there's sliders. Yeah. Yeah, they look like on the Swiss clock, you know, coming out. Yep, Coming out yep. to chime the hours. Yeah. Absolutely. I like how she says, I thought I'd find you down here, but he clearly got there first. I mean, second. So she was already waiting for him to come down there. It's kind of interesting, though. She kind of um, turns away from him in this episode. You kind of also always got the opinion that they've become... They've, got this friendship that's developed over the you know the past couple of centuries you know well she oh, also it's very consistent with night of the doctor though because yeah. the Eighth doctor clearly calls her an enemy um or words to that effect in there so but she see at one point seems to seem that she should be able to command him so she must have a special relationship she feels oh yeah well I mean, she did resurrect him. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I love that line. Must be well hard then. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the way he delivers it, too. Yeah. Uh. Must be well hard then. You can just uh. imagine the Gallifreyans are like, what? Uh. It's funny is, you know, Moffat has played with the Doctor being the president uh, a lot in his 12th incarnation. And whereas he doesn't he doesn't play his presidential powers particularly well at the end of season eight, mm-hmm. here at the end of season nine, when it's president of his own people, mm-hmm. man, he is just dead serious. He is absolutely the president of these people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's, a, it's the end of the universe. It's the only time I've got. It is ambiguous to me, though, exactly what the people from Karn are doing here. I mean, they don't. They love a they good are show. An offshoot. Yeah, they do love a good show. They love the uh, seeking but, refuge. I. But why? They're not in danger. I don't know. They make an interesting little. Oh. Sorry, this is an interesting little transition. Choice by Rachel. Um, Talley. I'm not quite sure why she did that little thing. And then there's this glorious stuff here mm-hmm. where I I guess they just Slightly found the 3D, 3D cameras. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then just broadcast it. I wonder if it really is 3D. That'd be something interesting to find out later. But uh, oh. it's, it's, it's a really nice effect because it's something we're all familiar with. Well, most of us from oh. being in a um, 3D cinema. Oh. But it makes sense because it's sort of that middle world. I mean, it's this moment where she's been taken out of her time. It's kind of cool. I love that contrast between the the yeah. dirty, dusty um, mm-hmm. 
uh, street and this pure white. Oh, I, I love that. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've said before in the last shot, I w- although I've seen a, an image of her in the, um, you know, the canteen outfit, I didn't expect to be, her to be in this episode. I thought that little glimpse we'd had of her last week, you know, with the imagined hand brushing his face, was all we're going to get. So I was in sheer delight that she was in this episode. I was not. Yeah, I'm not sure that I necessarily thought. I was worried, like I said, from seeing her name in the titles. Um, but I like her in it. I think I came to like it a lot. I just, I just, I, I enjoyed her end, and not because I wanted her to go, but I enjoyed the way Face the Raven had concluded her storyline, and so I was a little irritated by her return. But not of her behest. She made the sacrifice. I know, but uh, you know, it's 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 just I was I was satisfied with that ending, you know, and could come to the conclusion that it was a good a good out and a good way to go, and so this to me just spoiled my enjoyment, you know, of that story. I mean, it still at some point concludes that way. But it also might explain why you were saying, you know, so they just left the body in the street then, did they? <laughs> and the doctor went off, you know. Yeah. Well, it's actually, I think there's a, a missing scene, actually, from Face the Raven, where he actually comes in and talks to, and he says, you'll take care of her and whatever, and you'll make sure she's remembered. And... Well, that may be used at a later time, mightn't it? Mm. I'm still not, you know, we're going to see here in just a second, the doctor take this dude out. And I, I'm still not quite sure why he does it. To buy some time. The diversion, yeah. Uh, I guess. Hmm. And it's showing, I mean, uh, you can get a bit peed off after four and a half million years. That's what I said. He says, I won't let you leave here. So he was calling the doctor's bluff. Uh, right. He's like, I will physically stop you from leaving unless you kill me. You know, so the doctor killed him. I guess. Yeah, yeah. But but here comes a contradiction, not that we really care, but a contradiction with Invasion of Time and Deadly Assassin, probably. Here we're going to use a Gallifrey and Caesar, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not going to kill this guy. It's going to make him regenerate which never was the case in Invasion of Time and led to all sorts of speculation about, well, that's not a Time Lord then. Right. It's just a Gallifreyan and all this stuff. But, you know, if this guy does regenerate, then you have to believe, actually, Time Lord is a race. You know, whoever was the Castellan or whatever didn't regenerate before. Unless the Castellan was on his last regeneration. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess. But there were lots of people who died, kind mm. of. So all of them were. No, he said he had. T- he said <laughs> he had ten, didn't he? So this was his eleventh. I mean, it's a good. It's a good thing, you know. It's not really the doctor killing this dude. And this is this is pretty. I do love this next line. Now the regenerated Time Lord has. Yeah, eyeliner as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. Full makeup. Um, yeah. Back to normal. I love that. Yeah. Like, Although she does seem to have more of a breastplate now. It was, you know, it's yeah. kind of, uh, it's kind of like a Hartnell to Troughton regeneration where the clothes slightly change. Yeah. And the new general is being played by Tania Miller. Mm. Who uh, has most recently been in Cucumber and Banana? Oh, okay. Yep. RTD stuff. Yeah. Yep. This all happened to had parts in Holby City, uh, Deadside, and The Bill. She's really good. In this mm-hmm. episode. I mean, you, you can well believe that you need to follow her. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. That when he orders lemonade, that he gets American lemonade from a British um, server. Right. Uh, that's weird to me. Like, like she doesn't even question him and doesn't give him Sprite, which really is what she should have given him. Oh, she gives him from a jug, didn't she? It's homemade lemonade from a jug. I guess, but it's, still, you know. It's American lemonade. Yeah, the it's American. American lemonade, yeah. Lemonade to me was always... Sprite or Seven Up, yep, or teal. Yeah, are we seeing their different incarnations there or not? No, no, we're not. It it does look very, very reminiscent of the uh, the the time was that you see on the side of the uh, um, Rassilon's tomb. <gasps> oh my God, you're doctors. totally right. You're totally right. That's awesome. What a, what a great observation. <laughs> That's awesome, <laughs> and that's and that's why that's even better because this whole thing is like this thing, this encountering a Dalek that's tied up or whatever. That's totally from Five Doctors. And I, yeah, the whole Death Zone thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would have been better if it were actually in the Death Zone, but yeah. whatever. He would have escaped through the Death Zone. <laughs> right. I mean, it's still the same planet. It's still you know, same rules probably apply. So, mind you, the. I don't know if the death zone is actually on Gallifrey. Yeah, it is. Mm, yeah. Blue sky. So wasteland, wasn't it? Well, but see, that was before. That was before the era of um, <laughs> DVD and VHS, so people didn't have the ability to go back and listen to the sensorites from which we got, um, you know, Orange Sky. So I'm perfectly prepared to be, to let that one slide in 1980 or whatever, but I'm not prepared to let it slide uh, <laughs> so much uh, in Day of the Doctor in the actual 50th anniversary show. It bugs me still that it's a blue sky. Now, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, she doesn't blink, but she can't know that she that, that's something she has not to do. But see, she's never been properly introduced to the Weeping Angels. Not really. This is like this is like time yeah. of the doctor where they find those those few uh, you know weeping angels out in the middle of nowhere and it's just a like parlor trick or whatever. But she's never had a full on episode with them. It's not. No. It's, 
I think they're there just to show that these are still part of the franchise. Yeah, it's the finale. Throw everything in. Yeah. But it's weird that they are there. I think it would have been much more sensible if it had been a nice warrior. Or mm. you know, something that she had actually encountered. Right. Like it would have been really cool if it had been a, the if the Dalek had opened up and it had been her inside. And it oh. would be like you know, Luke Skywalker going to Dagobah and finding his father's face in the cave of evil. Like that would be cool. Yeah. Mind you, I kind of understand what they did though. Because the Cybermen and the Daleks we know have have um, fought with Gallifrey before, mm-hmm. and um, the Gallifreyans are aware of the uh, the Weeping Angels because you know uh, the end of time, you know, yeah. wrestling says like the Weeping Angels of old. Yeah. So they're all creatures that are known as a Gallifrey for one reason or another, so probably because they invaded. But I can't see the, the Ice Warriors having invaded Gallifrey. Right, that's true. And it does make sense for the Daleks and the Cybermen to be getting in here because they know it's a database and they would naturally be interested in getting into a database. Right. So that's, mm, yeah, that's true. I'm always right. <laughs> <laughs> it's only because they're a bad throw. I'm not speaking so much to argue with you. Ooh. <laughs> Keep it up then, Dave. Keep it up. <laughs> I'm doing a good I, job. I do, I do think that it, it, a Suntarnan would not have gone amiss. Right. Like Dan Starkey, get him in there because, you know, we're already all over Invasion of Time here. Yeah. You know, so let's, you know, go ahead and let's have us a Suntaran in there. And they would be interested in trying to infiltrate, you know, the database as well. And all you'd need is a roll of tinfoil for the Vartans. Oh. <laughs> Say it now. Sorry. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> Little mention of the Shabogans again for Invasion mm. of Time fans. And that's the name of the people from outside the dome, right? Well, yes. But I guess specifically people who've decided to turn their backs on Time Lord Society. Right. They are basically the hippies of the planet. Or the Wild West folk now. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't know that... I think that's what a lot of people are assuming, is that those are Shabogans that we saw at the top of the episode. I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, you know, they... If you look at the clothing in Invasion uh, of Time, it's much more skin, animal skin. It's much more Leela-like. So, yeah. Um, which is why she's, I suppose, drawn to them, in a way. So I don't know. Yeah, that's what confuses me because I'm like, last time I saw, you know, people outside yeah. of the Citadel, you know, it wasn't, you know, cowboy outfits. Yeah. So I don't know. It could just be people who, you know, exposed to the, what's that thing in the uh, sound of drums? The, um, where you look into the heart of the universe or whatever and you see mm. the time vortex. You look straight into the time vortex vortex and you decide that you're going to you know either go crazy or run away could right. be people who like the doctor ran away from that mm-hmm. yes yeah, so they failed the test but, yeah. and here comes the confusing part where apparently he really did live for 4.5 billion years which I yeah don't, just don't, don't know. no 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 he said that's the amount of time that passed he, he definitely didn't remember each successive 
regeneration. Because the very first time we saw him looking out to the sea, there were 100,000 schools there, and he didn't remember what was happening at that point. Right, but the thing is, it's not confirmed by him. Oh, Hela says. It's an objective yeah. viewer. Right. That's what makes it even more... But she I mean, does sort of throw that away and say, you know, that's what she says. Yeah. I mean, he was in there for four billion years. Unfortunately, yeah. from his perspective, he was only in there for, what, a day or two? Yeah. He was aware that he's he was making this loop every time. Yeah. But he wasn't getting world-weary with it. Right. Man, I really hope they bring this general back. She's great. She, granted, she doesn't get that much to do here, but I, th- mm. I still think she makes for a great general. This part, I mean, it's emotionally, it's great in one way. You know, emotionally, it's this, you know, enduring love kind of thing. And, you know, it, it effectively got emotions out of me. Mm. It doesn't really quite make sense but i yeah i love the commentary that makes on you know accepting death and that at some point you should just give up and certainly 4.5 billion years is too much right uh, uh, too much, yeah and her acting is just phenomenal as usual fabulous It's a great thought, you know, going back to find the workshops because, you know, it takes us back to name of the doctor and allows her to do something in this incarnation of her that maybe she didn't do before because that was another shard of her, right. I guess. I don't know, really. Because they never adequately dealt with that part of the impossible girl thing. And we don't know how much she remembers of that, if she remembers anything at all. Yeah. It's yeah, never it's ever referred to again. Yeah. I'm not sure how much Moffat can be blamed for that, though, because apparently she really did keep changing the date at which she was going to leave. Right. At some, at some point, you know, you got all these plans and you got to pull the trigger on one of them. Yeah. Thirty-five minutes in. I wonder if they really are hated by everybody. Well, I mean, in Night of the Doctor, mm. you know, That's true. when she said, when he said he was, you know, a Time Lord, mm. she'd rather die than go with him. She was also drawing them in as well to a conversation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was that yeah, too. Yeah. 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 She may be unreliable. It is, it is quite a glorious little getaway. Bye. Uh, yeah. Uh, well. This is quite vicious. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fighting words. I guess to her, she is a boy. But see, I wish then that she had not been named Ohika, but instead, no, wait, I wish she had not been named Ohila, but instead Ohika, 
so that, that way we could believe this is a continuous character with the one in Brain of Morbius, and therefore we can buy that she is absolutely much older than him. Right. Gotcha. Uh, mm. I mean, we're... Well, but see, maybe that's the difference between Karn and people. Uh, what a lovely little move by her there. Mm. To show disdain. Long ways away. Just away. She turns quite uh, nasty. Well, one thing I liked about that, just watching that part again, is that um, although we know later that the two girls go off in this TARDIS, it's the Doctor that's basically activated it and, and initialized it. So we know that Clara knows how to do basic controls on a TARDIS, but if, if it had had the two girls go and steal their own, they'd have never got it launched. Yeah, I mean, wow. he's basically primed and got it ready, and he's, he's basically installed Windows 10 for him to go and use it. Well, I don't think that's his point. His point is he doesn't know where his own, I mean, his, his own TARDIS isn't there. Oh, no, no, I realise that. I mean, from the story point later on, the fact that they didn't steal it, the two girls, the doctor went and got it, commissioned it, uh, it matched with him, and presumably he gave her piloting controls of this one anyway as default. Give it a bit more welly. <laughs> <laughs> I do love this set. I think it's mm. really kind of neat. I always like it when you see, like I even get a bit of a thrill when you see the Master's TARDIS, even though it's the Doctor's TARDIS painted black. It's still kind of neat because it's somebody else's TARDIS. Um, so to see inside another time machine, I just think that's cool, even though it's, it's. I know how they did it. I just still think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get, from that standpoint, it's true. I just I have reservations about the appropriateness of the set, right? But it's cool. Yeah, those uh, glass cages to one side—they were over to the other side. That was where he had the uh, the food dispenser, and that wasn't it on the original. Some in for the food, and that. It's where huh? he had, no. It's where he had the fault indicator. Ah. Uh. The food dispenser is actually in another room. Mm. Slightly, ah. Just off the main room. But really, I mean, it should be at like type 120 or something, not a type 40. But I mean, for the for the purposes of, you know, a, a cheap set. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it would have been cool if you had have seen a, a, you know, like you said, you know, the most advanced model that had been in for repairs, and had all these, you know, was maybe but, similar to this, but like, you know, right. flashing red and blue lights everywhere, and you know. Well, then we'd have the dilemma of the Doctor discarding a better TARDIS than his own. Also, uh, as a, as a an obsolete try. one, as an obsolete one, this. This would be easier to have stolen. Yeah, but it, would, it still would have been cool to see, you know, an, you know, the upgraded version, the Windows 10 version of, 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 of you know, the Gallifreyan time machine. Well, there's some people who still buy Windows 7 because they don't want Windows 10. Uh, sure. Yeah, or Knox. Which, again, a, a confirmation that he, Moffat, really does like 
that specials year. Mm. If you really go through this, there's something from every one of the four specials. Well, I guess it's really three specials, one of them being two parts, but. Yeah. And I love that. You get the, the old door noise. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we haven't moved from Gallifrey. We've just moved in time, so. Yep. The Luddite. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's cool sound. Is that, is that chess set made of dwarves or something? I was trying to make it out there. Still not like her all that much. It'd be See, nice if it was a was... Game of Thrones chess set, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh my lord! <laughs> I, I, and you know, Ian, that is a popular view, I think, uh, amongst many people that somehow she's not nailing the parts in front of her. I just, I just really like her. I like her in every performance that she's had because she's managed to do something a little bit different in each one of them. And I think here she's especially effective. As well, I think she's that's that this is her best part for uh, well, right, but it makes sense cuz you know, if you look at each one of them, they are different stages of life. Really. Mm. The first one is you know, the innocent young girl, the second one is more, you know, like the rebel teenager. Uh, the third one is, you know, more like the middle-aged adult who has to be a bureaucrat, really. Um, and then this one is just, she's retired, she's learned what she needs to learn, and, you know, she's not taking any crap. This is her knowing the truth of things, more or less. And that's why she's so much more calm, uh, so much more measured. I don't know. I just, I, I think she's done a better job, and I'm not saying than just what you say, but then it is quite popular um, to say that she's not done that great a job. But I think she's crafted something different each time, and I've enjoyed seeing the subtlety of the of the distinction. Yeah, she hasn't stolen any scenes from them, but uh, I think she's certainly been uh, good. And I think it's a really smart move on you know from a behind the scenes perspective too. Oh, I guess I'm wrong. Where did the glasses? No, because we're not back. Oh, no, 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 we're not right, back right, in right. The, yeah. the glasses. The glasses are later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's interesting, you know, this all this hybrid stuff, right? Mm. That's what's been going through the series or whatever. And I think it's interesting that it's not ever really completely defined that you can still believe different things, even though the doctor says at several points, even at what should be the most truthful point, that he is the hybrid. You still uh. can sort of not believe that, Um and I, I find that interesting. I, I really like that it's there's no definition to the major element of the series. Well, I mean, I still think you could consider her there because it's the ruins of Gallifrey and she's sitting there. Right. They didn't say she... The, the prophecy said nothing about her destroying Gallifrey. Right. Just that she would stand in the ruins of Gallifrey. She set things in motion with the uh, the the death sentence, and even her theory about the 
hybrid. You know, that it, it, it's two separate people, and one of them is a human, and one of them is uh, a Time Lord. That works for her, mm-hmm. too. Right? Like, this it doesn't have to be Clara. Because both of them are mistakes that the doctor made, right? It's it's his fault that she's immortal. It's his fault that now Clara is, I don't know if you'd call her immortal, really, but she still dies. And somehow she's cheated fixed point in time, which is interesting. And just uh, before I forget, uh, our Wraith friends, who we saw a little earlier, are played by uh, Ross Mellon, Nick Ash, and Jamie Weed Coral, who also played uh, The Veil last episode and also played um, The Colony Sarf. It's interesting that all those characters that the guy plays all move in sort of the similar way. Mm. They all slide. And I think that's not um, accidental. I think that's something that, you know, the choreographer, Ailsa Burke, I guess is her name, mm. has worked out because they are all, I guess, things that are supposed to scare the doctor, really. Mm hmm. And not necessarily using legs or uh, this floaty effect. Mm. Looked like he was rollerblading uh, as Colony Sar. <laughs> kind of, sort of. We have one of them new hoverboard things. Ah. Uh, the little kids are scooting yeah. around on there. I do my knees and do one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's the so and so that killed me. <laughs> yeah, she couldn't keep it from me. It's amazing how her accent comes out at certain points. <laughs> See, and this sort of thing, you know, this is the reverse of Donna, right? You know, you're giving her agency to choose which way she wants to go. It's it's interesting. It's empowering. Um, but, you know, and it, it's, it's also sort of the reverse of, of, um, of uh, Rose, you know, because that was a departure that Rose didn't have any real control over either. Right, but man, it just makes me really, really like the Martha departure so much better because that is a flat-out choice, right? Nobody's forcing her. There's no, uh, no telepathic hanky-panky. There's no, you know, end-of-time scenarios going on. It is just her saying, "You know what? I was hoping for a boyfriend. You seemed like you were interested. You let me on a little bit, but I gotta leave now." 
you know, and that's that's what is the reason for leaving. Um, this is all. It, I like it, but it's a little bit complicated, to be honest. And, it, and it's also one of the reasons why I don't think that this is, as a season ender, the best thing ever that's been done. Yeah. But but I, I I like the fact that she's still true to her sacrifice here. She's not she's not pleading for a life. Um, right, 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 she's, right. She's she just wants to not lose any of her identity. Yeah, I mean, if it, it's definitely in character. There's no doubt about that. It's uh, just, you know, it's just a remix, kind of, of the way that other companions have left. It's a remix that is positive in her favor and makes her seem a little, you know, stronger or whatever. But still, I, I completely argue, even though people have this, this problem with Martha and maybe more with Freema as an actor or whatever, but that ending is still the strongest one. Of the new of series. Of Martha leaving, yeah, making a clean break. Absolutely, because right. she's just, she's straight up choosing something. And I, this, this is so much better, I think. I mean, it's not this big dramatic end thing. It's just like, you know what? I'm going to stay home. Yeah. You know, you there's know, no, to do here. no fuss, no bother. Just, you know, my family's there and I'm going in. But it just seems that's the that's the odd one out, really, when you think about it. Yeah, it really is. You know, well, we had, Tegan said she had enough of death and things. We've had. Well, I mean, in the new uh, series, you know, the, all the yeah. new oh, series right. companions have. Oh you right, know, okay. It's been a big, 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 big deal, you know. And with Rose, it right. was a big deal a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even you know the Roy and Amy thing. You know, Roy doesn't have any choice. Amy makes a choice, but it's all about that. You know, sort of. But but it's still a choice for something that they don't really have any control over. I mean, you say that Amy makes a choice and she sort of does, but you know, she's not going to leave her husband. No. Uh oh. Nice little Mickey Finn's in the wrong drink. <laughs> <laughs> nice little audio effect that accompanies the kind of um, the memories slipping away. Mm. Yeah, it is. You get this kind of whooshing. Yeah. And then there's this nice little line here of Paul Cornell's that got excised from, uh, what is that thing? Um, oh, yeah. Where, uh, human nature. Yep. Human the, nature. Right there, blood. Never eat pears. They're too squishy. And they yeah. always make your chin wet. I mean, that's. That's the thing that's actually in there, which is, yep. it's cool to have that brought back up, actually. Yeah, it's that, but look, she's fast forwarding through the, through the video of the instructions. Don't eat, let, let me eat yeah, pears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Look at that. That's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. As a piece of acting, it's just ridiculous on both their parts. That's the one thing I've, the one common comment I've seen is that a lot of people, Liked her, just not necessarily the way she was written. Yeah, yeah, I'll go, I, I can accept that. I didn't want her to be the impossible girl. I wanted her to be a, a companion. companion. But actually, I, I I think that that the write out of the impossible girl thing, like if you do, if you look at Name of the Doctor as the end of a season, I think that's far better than this. Far better. Mm. 
loved it. And, you know, because that's also got that lovely bit with River in it, which is just crazy. Mm. Crazy good. This is, lo- I mean, the fade here is just, uh. this is crazy good stuff from Rachel Zalele. Uh. Love it. But I don't understand the car business because he's got this other car. He doesn't have the truck from the beginning. No. So who's the truck from? Why is there this sedan here? Well, he gives him a Why ride on it- the road and says this is as far as I go. Uh, then he hitches a ride with somebody else. I guess. But it would have been great if it had been somebody in a Stetson hat. <laughs> and you thought for a moment that it was you know, Matt Smith and it turns out not to be. And then it's yeah. a cowboy uh. truck. It made much more sense. It made more fun. This is an interesting kind of amnesia. This is a throwback. The amnesia thing is is kind of cool if you uh, read any Eighth Doctor stuff because the Eighth Doctor was always having amnesic uh, episodes like this. Um, so it's not undoctory to have this. Right. Um, it's just it's just kind of weird and in the sense that you know next time he sees Kate Stewart, she knows who. You know, next time he's at the Black Archives, oh look, here's a picture of Clara. Oh, okay, you know, whatever. It's it's a, it's the kind of thing that you think might not actually hold too well. I was just say, if that device had worked on Clara, it would probably wiped her properly. His his brain has built-in safeguards that minimizes the loss, so just down to the uh, the the one character. Except it's a Time Lord device, so you would think it would work on Time Lord. Physiology. Uh, maybe. They, yeah. they, they, he had said that he wanted one that was compatible with human beings. Yeah. But, yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's not compatible with Time Lord. Oh. I don't know. Maybe it's less less powerful because mm-hmm. you know too much power would kill a human being or wipe maybe. everything out. Maybe, maybe. We're fans. We're just going to make it up as we go along. <laughs> But yeah, he's gotten up. He's still playing the guitar. The guitar is playing through his um, eyeglasses. And then the, the TARDIS materializes away and he hasn't retrieved the sunglasses, so they're gone. Not that yeah. he can't remake them. Yeah. I hope he does remake them because, frankly, I think he looks great in sunglasses. But Although he brought them in with him, so you could argue they would just drop to the floor. No, they're specifically on the countertop. I know, but when the counter disappears, he brought them in with him. They're not part mm. of the TARDIS materialization. They're physical objects he brought in with him. Maybe, maybe. You don't really have any defined rules on how that materialization goes away. But the materialization is weird. That's a lovely shot, you know, going looking back into this other TARDIS. That's pretty mm. cool. Um it's full on video that's that is really quite lovely but why doesn't he hear the TARDIS why doesn't he seem to hear the TARDIS why is it only him like he's only responding to visual stimuli at this point which doesn't make sense to me yeah they should be on the floor by his side there well it appeared to be 
And then, you know, there's this, see, this is weird too. Here we have yet a third version of the TARDIS manual. And this one is in the new Gallifreyan script as opposed to, you know, something that Perry could read in plain English or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't really understand why a shielder would have any kind of knowledge of Gallifreyan language. Well, because she mean, was she was at the ruins of Gallifrey, and so she's probably had some time on her hands to read, yeah. read up in a book. I yes. guess, I guess that's, I guess that's some of the last stuff she read. So I guess it can still be in her finite memory. I guess, yeah. I but I'm not really sure why. It looks like it's Clara who's piloting the ship. Why right. does she know things? I really wish that the whole thing of why the TARDIS didn't like Clara was explained at some point. Well, because she she picked the original TARDIS to be the one that the Doctor took away. Perhaps she was it was annoyed that it got chosen. Uh, yeah, okay. Remember, she redirects it, the Doctor to the TARDIS that he eventually took. So she might blame her for it's my fault that I had to leave Gallifrey on all these bad adventures. No, oh, but she said that she chose the Doctor, so. Uh, Perhaps she thought the uh, Clara was too close to him. Mm, could be. Jealousy. I mean, do we have to wonder why the Doctor doesn't recognize that person on the TARDIS as the person he was just talking to? Yeah. I don't know. It, it didn't have a name on it, though, did it? It didn't no. say Clara under the picture. And her hair's in a different way or whatever. Looks like uh, Hermione from Harry Potter. Yeah. This is just gorgeous. Just gorgeous, out of focus stuff. That's silhouette, man. This whole last thing. There's nobody who has photographed the TARDIS better than Rachel Salele. Nobody. Not even close. Some nice eleventh doctor. And there, in fact, I think it was Todd who wanted that to be her final words. What, run, you clever boy. Yeah, and in fact, it was. I don't know how the velvet jacket got into this TARDIS. Uh, one must assume he's got multiple versions. Well, she mentions it, so she'd obviously already picked it out for him. Ah, there you are. You I don't like that design. <laughs> I really don't. It's too much. Too much whirling around. It's a bit steampunk, isn't it? Mm. Well, it kind of fits with them. Yes. I like it because there's no pouty look to him. He's just like business. Yeah, yeah. But I don't understand. He just... Like That's this good. That's this good. is this this is what that. should have ended the episode right there. The next little scene of flying through space is just a waste of money to me. Mm-hmm. That is just SFX gone crazy. Yeah, the woman. Here comes our look at the 
Christmas special. Which does not inspire confidence. Exactly. I actually kind of like it. <laughs> really? I mean, I could be wrong. I hope I am wrong. I hope it is, you know, gloriously madcap silly, which is what it, I guess, sort of looks like. Well, I don't like that actor. I forget what his name is, but I don't really like him that much. Oh, the, com- the comedian from uh, the very, very tall actor. Mm. Oh, that but <laughs> mm. Mm. I know what you mean. Uh, whatever. I mean, I look at that and I'm like, uh, I'm not open for much there. But mm. it, it's good to not hope for much and then get something. It looks like it's a good romp, and that's what I expect from a from a Christmas special. I don't expect, you know, high drama. I expect high comedy. <laughs> All right, it's time for the wrap up. All right. Let's see who's up first. Uh, any, mini money more? Me. <laughs> no, not that me. Me, me. Not the other me. Anyway. Um, well, as you may have heard on the, the show earlier today, if you've listened to the Cultman Collective live show, uh, not exactly my favorite episode. Um, as I said earlier, um, during this episode, I liked uh, the way... Um, Clara's exit was handled and faced the Raven. And so to me, this kind of took away from that. It, it, it took nothing away from, from her, you know, what she did and everything in that episode. It just took away from my enjoyment. Um, I liked it, liked the way it was finished and would have been quite happy if, you know, we hadn't seen her at all in this. It's nice to see her again because I like her as an actress and I like Clara as a, as a character. So, it's a toss-up. Um, love probably the opening half hour of this episode because uh, it was the Doctor, you know... Well, the first, I think, seven or eight minutes involved Peter Capaldi not saying a word. And to me, that's just kind of awesome stuff right there where an actor is just purely acting, no no words necessary. Um one of my favorite things when I'm watching people acting is what their face says and 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 what the way their body is portraying the character and it's amazing what people can do with that talent and Peter Capaldi just shows you you know how it's done David Tennant had that same ability if you ask me um especially with his face of just you know telling the story without even saying a word um and, you know, Peter's the same. Uh, loved the new president. Donald Sumter, I think, did a, did a great job. A lot of people uh, would have preferred Timothy Dalton. And I understand that. But I think he just comes, Donald Sumter comes across as just the kind of person you want to kick off your planet. Um, he kind of encompasses all that's wrong with Rassilon, the, the, the mean-hearted bastard. <laughs> um, and, and Donald Sumter just makes you want to hate him you know you don't like him from the get go and that's the whole idea you're, you're not there to, to like uh, Ken Bones I'll miss him as the general and kind of got used to seeing his face as part of Gallifrey now um, but but Tania Miller does, does a great job too so uh, 
it, I suppose it's a, it's, a, it's a good way to finish off the season. Uh, I did like the, the, you know, seeing the other inside another TARDIS. Um, just a little upset that um, what uh, Mike Randall Thor um, prophesized would happen actually happened. Uh, Stephen Moffat turned um, Clara into the Doctor. Uh, now she has her own TARDIS, a companion, and she's exploring the galaxy in a, in a TARDIS with a broken chameleon circuit. So she's now effectively the Doctor. Um, so you were right, Mike. You were right. Yeah, that's what you said would happen. So, yeah, not a lot more to say. I mean, I I, I did have other things to say, which you can check out on the uh, Cultum Collective podcast, uh, Talk Show ID five four eight two one. You can also check it out on iTunes. Um, and that's enough of a plug for me. So next up is Mister Norris Skeptical. <laughs> you shocked me. Um, Ooh, <laughs> I uh, I know. I know. Uh, you know, I I thought it was a fine episode of Doctor Who. I don't think it's necessarily the best season ender that we've seen, not even in the Moffat era, um, in the sense of really wrapping things up for the entirety of the season. It's, it's an interesting ending, maybe, because uh, it doesn't actually completely confirm what the, the, the major season arc was about um, because we don't really definitively find out who the hybrid is, and that, that's it's a fascinating way to go. I kind of enjoy not completely knowing that, um, but I think that does make it a little bit less fulfilling than it might have been. I think this had a really hard uh, season, had a really hard job because it was advertised as being. Um, very similar to season two in that you have the doctor and his companion traveling around and having quote unquote, too much fun. That there's something bad about having that much fun together. And I think that season two is, is just more effective in the way that that is ended. Um, because ultimately just like this season, it is being that close to the doctor that causes the companion to, lose their life or to be removed from the, the series if you go look at it from a behind the scenes perspective and I just think that it worked better when the story was a little bit simpler when you know it's that the companion is going off into another dimension and can never come back that's completely understandable it's a little bit science fiction but it's not um, too far away from mainstream science fiction it's something you know, we've experienced in these kind of stories before. This is a little bit more um, esoteric, maybe even a lot more esoteric, in that it becomes about uh, the the nature of death. It becomes about, um, is it possible for a companion to be like the doctor or not? Um, and you know, I, I think it, I think the series sends very definite mixed signals about that because on the one hand, it's directly what gets her killed. On the other hand, she is alive enough to continue on and have some adventures. Um, 
On the other thing that's going through the series, though, I think it's much more satisfying on the question of what is the nature of a shielder? What has she become? And that, to me, was a very interesting story. Um, and and I, I suppose I'm a little bit against the trend of people uh, or a lot of different Doctor Who fans that I've read in that I, I think that her Maisie Williams' acting was really good, really nuanced. It had lots of different points that were going on with it throughout the season. So that you could see differences in her character as she grew up, as she, as she aged, I guess is a better word, um, until here, you know, in, in her most supremely confident performance, you know, she survives until the end of Gallifrey. And I, that part of the season arc, I think, is very satisfying. Um, and I don't think that you can fault, you know, any of the actors for um, failing to give their best. And that sounds like sort of damning with faint praise, and I don't really mean that, to do that. Um, but I think that they are able, it's able quite brilliantly to, to come up with scenes in this final series, in this final episode that are maybe better than anything else in the rest of the series in the sense of being able to drag from you, um, an emotional response, which I think Moffat was, has at various times, uh, maybe not been able to deliver, but here, the writing is, I, in, in terms of sheer wordcraft, the writing is pretty phenomenal here. And it's very easy to get swept up in the emotion of the episode before you realize that some of it doesn't really make all that much sense. Uh, I think especially there are questions from last episode, which, if anything, this episode hurts the last episode. I don't think it really hurts the Raven episode, I think it makes heaven sent a lot more ambiguous, a lot more squishy uh, than is perhaps expected. But I mean, I think that certainly we are left here in this episode without a great understanding of what the confession dial really is or how it works or how it can be in your pocket. And at the same time you can be within it or how it got from you know, Diagon Alley or whatever that place was called, the Trap Street, um, into his pocket, how it got to Gallifrey. That's all very much up in the air still. And and even worse, you know, the question of exactly how long was the doctor actually in this thing? You know, was it, was it really 4.5 billion years? Um, and that itself is a problem because really we should be saying only 4.5 billion years uh, in a way um, because if indeed the um, if indeed Gallifrey is more or less at the end of space and time uh, we know that to be far beyond 4.5 billion years in the future I mean it's at least 100 trillion or so Utopia would tell us um, so it sort of is a little, it's inconsistent with Doctor Who history if you really read it carefully. And I think that's, uh, I think that's one of the problems that as a Doctor Who fan, you're going to have with this episode is there are a lot of little things that just don't make sense against the backdrop of the larger series. Um, 
especially if you include in that larger series the classic series as well as the BBC Whale series. Um, but the, the glory of the episode is if you can turn off that part of your fan brain, if you can just look at it as, you know, a reality unto itself and just think, you know, how does it work within the context of the season? I think you'd be much happier with it. And I think it, you'll be able to focus much more on, you know, the great comedy that's within it, the great wordsmith smithing that's in it. Um, and you, you walk away from it feeling a lot better about it. Um, it's only when you really start to think about certain elements in it against the backdrop of Doctor Who fiction that's happened before that you come away a little bit um, disenfranchised with it. Uh, but I, I am the biggest mystery, I suppose, for me <laughs> is what happens right at the very end. And you, you hear that exchange between the doctor and Clara and Clara says, well, are you looking for Clara? And the doctor says, yes. And, you know, if you think back to the snowmen and you look at Matt Smith's reaction, okay, here's this person, they've died, but yet these are maybe still alive somehow. Matt Smith was not going to stop at anything. Matt Smith became obsessed with finding out who Clara was, and he didn't even really know Clara at that point. Now we're meant to believe, after knowing Clara for a very long time, and we don't even know exactly how long, that suddenly he is looking for Clara, but is not. You know, I, I don't really understand... I know that what's going to happen in, in season 10 is basically we're never going to hear about Clara again, right? It's going to be a, a clean slate because that's what the the final scenes of this episode kind of gloriously reveal. I mean, that, that mm -hmm. last scene in the TARDIS is just gorgeous and it's confident and it's him saying, I am now starting over, right? But yet he said he's looking for... This Clara. So it, it seems somewhat inconsistent with his character to believe that if he's got this mystery inside his mind, who is this person that he's not going to go looking for? And yet we know he's not going to go looking for because Jenna Coleman is no longer under contract. Right. right? It's, it's such a weird little ending of, you know, it, it, because on the one hand, it's so gloriously filmed. And yet on the other hand, it's probably out of character. And, and that's the thing that I think stops this from being one of the great finales of all time and merely makes it one that is good. That and, you know, the ambiguity about what now are we doing with Gallifrey? Are we putting it away again? Are we going to see more of it as we go into the future? Um, that is a, a very worrying thing because I think basically RTD had it right when he banished Gallifrey off of his own planet. Um, and it, it just would be nice to know, okay, that was great to go there. It was important to go there because Clara is so enmeshed with Gallifrey, right? The finding of Gallifrey, the helping of Gallifrey, the making sure that Gallifrey is not destroyed a bit. It, in some way, it was absolutely vital that Clara be in a story that was about Gallifrey, given what she's done up to this point. But can we now say 
what we're going to do with that, I don't know. And that, that leaves an open question mark about how successful this episode is going to be in the future. If it leads us to an increased viewership of Gallifrey, I think this will be seen as less successful. If it's, you know, just a little bit more, then maybe it's okay. Um, but overall, the one thing that really doesn't quite work for me with this episode is what, why in the world should we believe that the doctor who kind of remembers Clara isn't now just going to stop at nothing to find her. And yet that's exactly what we're headed for. So mixed signals um, on an otherwise really good episode. All right. Thank you very much, sir. And David. Right, well, because of my voice, I'll probably not speak long, but just to... Yay! But, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I thought just, I was muted. Just, just to address that possible uh, dilemma or theme going forward that Darth mentions, and I'm not saying I've got the answer, but t- two possible things spring to mind there. Uh, that now he's looking for Clara, not necessarily to be back as a companion. He's not obsessed her with that sense, but he's he wants her because he has questions to ask he wants to just to um you know put a face to a name and uh, a, 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 and give him something to grasp onto that will make sense with all the things that he does uh does remember that she's related to are indeed we may have not picked up because uh, it certainly wasn't clearly shown that when he actually looked at the tardis and saw that picture that he actually in that moment came to the realisation that he doesn't need to look for Clara. He's just been speaking to her. And and maybe he does make that realisation. And that in of itself is enough because you can see that she's there. I mean, presumably he now realises that it, she's not just a working girl in a bar, but because it dissolves around him, he can make the assumption that, that she's got a TARDIS. He, he knows she wouldn't have abandoned me, uh, um, Shilda. So maybe he can infer from all that that she now has got a future for as long as her conscience will allow her to do. And knowing that because of that, uh, even if he doesn't remember and put a name to uh, Clara, he knows she's a a woman of strength, a person of conviction, a person of, um, uh, you know, um, doing the right thing. He, He always, one of the things he always knew about her um, was the fact that she was always right in those moral dilemma questions. So it wasn't on the screen, but I think the viewer can allow themselves to believe that one option was there, that he did identify that image as being the girl he's just talked to. That picture's on the TARDIS, therefore she was Clara, and therefore uh, she's gone off, presumably with this companion, and that she's now you know, um, got other adventures to go on, but that will do the right thing. It's a fixed point. In effect, he doesn't need to seek Clara out because he can always go to the trap street at that very time and place again, can't he? Unless we're going to have this time lock thing that he can't go there again with the TARDIS. But um, there you go. Um, As to the actual uh, episode, I I was thoroughly enjoyed it. Luckily, I hadn't been spoiled. Even I hadn't spoiled myself seeing that poster of the the bar because I hadn't made a connection. Uh, I had resigned myself to that very brief uh, 
scene in the TARDIS from last week uh, with the the Clara, uh, you know, uh, apparently brushing the the Doctor's face as he contemplates what to do. Uh, and I thought that was a lovely ghostly nod. Um, it, it, Clara didn't have to come back to me. I think she'd done the noble sacrifice in Face the Raven, but I don't think that what happened in this episode undermined it because it was not of her... Uh, she hadn't driven it. She hadn't um, uh, implored the Doctor to save her at any cost. He, she hadn't tried to tempt him to break the rules. He's the one that had pushed the boundaries all the way to the fact that um, uh, he was almost shouting at her, I'm going to make you, I'm going to sort you out. Even though, you know, she says to him, you should have given up on me. I mean, it was too much. You, you know, uh, she had accepted uh, that uh sentence of uh, our death or whatever and she only uh, railed against it uh, uh, at the point of that her memories would be sacrificed for her those had been hard for and wonderful years those were what had made her who she was she would give up her life she would not give up our identity our our uh, you know, all that had gone before, those were too precious to her. So I thought it was very noble. Uh, I still think um, that whatever happens with these two characters, I don't think we'll see it on the TV screens. I think it will be maybe explored, whether by fan fiction or by audio adventures or by uh, a series of books. And I hope it is. Uh, I'm sure it's a rich vein. Um I see it as well. I mean, although we've had some odd little sprinklings in about uh, Clara and um, uh, Jane Austen and things like that, uh, I see those two girls going off on an adventure. No doubt there'll be, um, I forget what sort of a, what's it called, Slash, flash fiction? I don't know what it is. Uh, no doubt there'll be uh, some people going off in in even more exotic uh, areas. I don't know. But for exotic me... Or erotic? Well, probably both. But as far as I'm concerned, Clara's journey in the mainstream is finished. Uh, the date is fixed, immutable, and uh, will not be uh, cheated from that. And her sacrifice stands, uh, her her conviction stands, and her braveness and her willing to face that fate still stands. Uh, just to give... Uh, Mike a little bit more fuel in a way not only has she become the doctor in terms of uh, having her own TARDIS, she's almost doing a David Tennant, isn't she? She's doing a 10th Doctor, poisoned by gas, uh, and now he's got a grand tour to say goodbye to everybody he knew uh, before he eventually goes to the planet of the Ood to find out uh, you know what's happening and so on uh, uh, so to me um I thought it was a good ending and it's not an ending that's left me frustrated in terms of, you know, well, where, where are all those plot holes? There were a couple of uh, episodes that I think challenged the viewer. Well, we're not doing a series review, so I won't do that. Let's just say that this um, three-parter I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I, uh, I'm i not actually sure whether last week and this week needed this extended time. Um, maybe last week certainly didn't. I think that could have been tightened up and been a standard length. Uh, this one probably did benefit from it. And I thought the realisation of Gallifrey and some of the other things that we saw were wonderful. And it was uh, nice to see, you know, an original 
our uh, Type 40 uh, TARDIS console and so on. So uh, I, I'm a very happy camper. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, although I may be in the minority somewhat, I uh, sorry, and the acting, superb, uh, from all counts. Uh, really good. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you very much, Dave. All right, that about wraps it up for us. Um, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this commentary. We'll be back with another commentary sometime after Christmas. We're not entirely sure when. <clears throat> but we'll have one. Honestly, we will. And as far as the uh, live uh, Colton Collective, uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time to do a full series or season wrap-up, depending on which way you like to look at it. Isn't that right, Dave? Indeed. All right. So we look forward to seeing you there and then and uh, all that fun stuff. So until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dar Skeptical. And it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the sixth doctor. Goodbye, everybody. I left some of my soup. Uh, must be cold by now. Gazpacho day, is it? <laughs> Gazpacho day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.